0: Previously on the Tony
1: Kornhazer Show. We're talking with Doug Hurston, who caddied for Rojan, who won the the Junior Girls, and he mentioned the score of 62. I want to say that again. She shot a 62. Now, it's not not the official Columbia course record because she didn't do it from the tips, and everybody understands that. It's a different set of tees that she plays. She essentially played the tees that I play. I get to 62 on number 11 or 12, and then I continue playing 62 doug is a remarkable remarkable score
0: this is general george
1: washington and you're listening to the tony kornheiser show so happy to think that people enjoyed listening to doug herson after he caddied for Rochon which is something he will remember the rest of his life. He brought somebody home, and they won a USGA tournament.
2: Yeah. And he's a really good player. I love that he threw in the 61. Had his, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice casual Labor Day tournament.
1: Were you playing <laughs> with him? Keeping score. Were you there at uh, that point? Yes,
2: I was. Yeah. Did you know he shot a 61? Oh, we, we knew early on. He was putting everything out. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um,
1: so that's Michael's voice. Um, Nigel is with us as well today. And Chessie the dog is barking. She is just barking all the time. She wants to be a guest on the show, and she's just barking because she's angry because she's not outside at the moment, so you're going to have to live with her barking. I wanted to thank some people who sent some stuff in, and by send some stuff in, I mean send it to my house. Don't send stuff to my house. Thank you for thinking about me, but don't send stuff to my house anymore. Um, Michael Lee from Annapolis, he sent a, a thing of Aerosarinen. Is that how it's pronounced, the architect Aerosarinen. Think that's how it's pronounced. This is a PBS show on him. He's the one who designed the art oh, and the Arch, other yeah. things. Oh right. Sure. I haven't had a chance to look at this yet, but I appreciate that. I got a book or two books from Andrew Luria. This is gonna go to Michael and his children. It's a very large book. I mean it's a lot of pages. It's not a very large book. It's yeah, they're reading of, chapter books now. A lot of pages, so this would be good. And then I got something yesterday that I don't even understand at all. Um It's from something called Simply Words in Lincoln, Nebraska. It came in this envelope that I'm holding up for Michael and Nigel to see. And it was a shirt. It was a white t shirt with the word love in red on the front. It was a woman's size. You know, it was not for a man, it was a woman's size. And I don't know why they sent it, and I don't know it's addressed to you. Why it got yeah, it's addressed to me. I don't I I don't understand any of it. Honestly, um, if they want some publicity, okay, maybe this is is this is what they want. But I
3: don't know wh- why they
1: sent it to me. Seems
3: a bit random. Just
1: yeah, I don't really understand. I I guess what they do, I guess they have words and they put them on T-shirts. I'm guessing it's like, words. It's a words.
3: It's a gift personalized website that they probably have. You know. Shirts, drinkware, pants, okay. that kind of stuff. I don't know. You can look it up. I don't have any idea. Can you get that uh, that T-shirt or sweatshirt that that one woman had with the F-word on it? No, I don't
1: it? want that. I don't <laughs> want that. But it, of course, when whenever words comes in, it's it's always, it's only words and words are all I have to take your heart away. I mean, it's a Bee Gees song. Uh, let me get to something else. While we were away, Nigel so uh, graciously took care of our plants and our vegetables and I have a problem and and michael i don't I think the solution has to be netting. that's why I see netting all over when people have gardens now. They have netting squirrels or other varmints leave the peppers alone. They don't seem to care about the peppers. That's the heat I don't know. I don't have any idea. they don't seem to care about the peppers. But when you look at a tomato, it has a gouge mark mm. it has a couple of mm. teeth marks. It could be squirrels. And, and because of those cylindrical things that we have to keep the tomatoes growing They're the cages. straight up, which are not netted, and they should probably be netted, they can get in by climbing them. Mm-hmm. They may not be squirrels. They're not deer, because deer would just eat them uh, if deer ate vegetables i don't know the deer eats vegetables or not but they could be muskrats or those little what are those
3: little pesky things chipmunks chipmunks they could be those things because i've seen them around there is a chipmunk on the premises that i encountered several times the same one are you sure i'm pretty sure it's the same one because he was going to to in and out of sort of the, the same location yeah i'm reluctant to reveal that information well, it's probably in the basement uh it's underneath those stairs on the way yeah, up to the back yeah. porch okay so, so it's not in the house no and you could see by the way, the skin of the little tiny tomato, the cherry tomato? They're eating them and peeling them. <laughs> they're peeling them like they're waiters. They're peeling them. What are you doing? Not even steaming them. I love it's the little to tomatoes. That, I yeah.
1: have to get out there. Yeah. I have to time when it turns red enough to eat before these varmints eat these things. Why do they eat tomatoes and not peppers? What can I do to the... People out there will know this. What can I do to the tomatoes to discourage that? Or is it just netting? Because you see increasingly large, you know, houses of netting and and they, the so tomatoes. This, this to be is good. on me.
2: Years ago, when we had the tomato plot in the little house yard, we did oh, have right. a system of nettings that was protected by, if you remember, a twig. You didn't. Uh, you but I, I sort of figured on the back patio. <laughs> this is a deck. I thought we had the higher ground here. We had position. We could we could hold the Apparently squirrels not. off. But
3: they've been I no. guess
2: laying in wait. Well, I don't know if there's again. I don't know if there's squirrels. Now I, mean, I am interested in, in what's going on with the peppers. Because this is is this like the shishito peppers? Where like one in one in eleven is you know screamingly hot know maybe there's there's something no. in the. St- I
3: told Nigel, tell him what I told you to do with the peppers. Uh, pull them off and put them in a brown paper bag. A brown
1: paper bag. Yeah, I yeah. left them in a little bit too long, and a couple got soggy. Now I ate them last night, and I removed the others that were getting soggy. There's the taste of a homegrown pepper is spectacular. It's so good. It's so much different than anything yes. you buy in a store. Yeah, even green peppers, which I'm not crazy about. I love these green peppers, so I'm I'm happy with that. And we have a bumper crop of peppers. Which are they are victims of blossom end rot yeah, little, here or there, yeah. but they are not victims of animals. And I, I'm asking. So I thought you were going to go help? the
2: direction that when you were out of town, Nigel was in charge of taking care of the peppers. He and was, you, and you came
3: back to find that he had cut away everything. So well, I'm surprised he the crop has survived. Yeah, he, he you you took most of them down. Well, there was prematurely, the, I would say, but yes, it's okay. I realized that afterwards, but mm. they looked like they were ready. I was like, oh, this looks like. And, and, and so let
1: let's get to the heart of that. Why did they look like they were ready to you? Someone who knows nothing about peppers. Well, I eat did. They them. look like they were ready because they were green because they've been green since the moment they started growing. Well, yes, well, the chipmunk.
3: They were just they, all right. So they'd gotten to a certain size, Right. right, right. And I thought, well, these look like they're pretty was, big. Well, they weren't pretty big. They're small. Well, I thought they were pretty big for, for that little tree. I didn't think they were going to get to be the full size you get in the supermarket. I just didn't think they'd get that big. And a I thought. Pepper tree? Yeah, pepper tree. A pepper tree. Like we had in Birmingham, England. Yes. Yeah. We grew them all the time. Yeah. And, and you I. You took was, six of them down and you, you destroyed them. <laughs> was, but they taste great. And there were still I did leave some on the vine. Yes, you did. But you, um, didn't, you didn't decimate no. and exfoliate <laughs> the entire crop the in one burn. day. Yes. But I was afraid that if I left them out there for too long, that they would become victims to A, either Blossom Inroth. I think Blossom or- Inroth gets them early and not late. Okay. And I
1: think the varmints leave
3: them alone. Well, yeah, I, was, I didn't know at that point that the varmints yeah. didn't like them. So I thought, well, if I go a little early on this, I'll save some for you. Yeah. But- All right. It was a good try.
1: Yeah. I, and I appreciate it. I do. I'm, I'm not trying to be hypercritical. Just somewhat critical. <laughs> but nothing, nothing to the degree that I yeah. want to be critical of Austin Voth last night i mean this was i so chuck todd is on vacation but he's still watching the Nats. (laughs) he's watching the Nats, and we're going back and forth paolo espino is pitching great has all season he pitches five innings he should be rookie of the year at 38 or whatever he is he gives up four hits in five innings two in the first inning so two over the next four innings and for reasons unknown to me davy yanksome after five, he just yanks him and puts in Austin Voth with a 3 nothing lead or a 2 nothing lead? 2 nothing lead. That
2: was, I think, 2, yeah. 2 nothing, nothing lead. At
1: the time. Yanks him. And, and and Chuck and I are going, what is this? And Chuck said, this is managing by, da- it's data-driven managing. You know, it doesn't really, it's, you're not, this is Wilbon's screaming argument the whole time, that why are you doing this? Because why, analytically, you think you should do this. Austin Voth comes in, doesn't get anybody out.
3: Mm.
1: Doesn't get anybody out. Gives up a walk, a hit, and a home run. And the Nats are losing. They're losing at that point, three to two. Now they come back and they win, but this is in recent days. And let me give credit to the last three relievers Finnegan, Hudson, and the dreadful hand. They each pitched an inning and they didn't. I don't think they gave up any hits, Michael. I don't think they gave up any hits. But in recent days, since the All Star break, the Nats, the moment they put in a reliever, that reliever gives up a home run. Mm. Hudson did it, I believe. Hand did it. Swerro certainly did it, <laughs> and and both did it. I mean, that, what are you bringing these people in for? And and uh, people doing the game are saying, in the Nats bullpen is rested and ready." Well, it's rested. I don't know that it's ready. Now the Nats win the game. And by the way, by the way, Josh Bell coming around, fourteen home runs now. Josh Bell coming around in the way that Schwarber came around. What happened to Schwarber? Where's what happened? Did still we on trade the aisle. him? Hell is he yeah. ever coming back
2: So th- this is when you when you sort of focused on the the last two series because I think he was still healthy for the first one going into the All-Star break that's why those games became even more untenable than than they were just by looking at the record because you were losing your biggest bat and and so here this is you're looking at something where they won the game you were seeing Josh Bell who's now hitting home runs you're yes. seeing uh, Zimmerman, who had a great yep. RBI late yep. in the game. Yep. So they win the game. You're playing a nine-inning game. I think to your to your issue, it's this question as to, I'd love to know more, is what was the decision going into the game as to why Espino, Espino, who looked like he was dealing, could only go this set number? And if it comes back to, well, you're at the top of the order, and Starling Marte, who is now the, third the time around. trade bait, the third time so around. he wants to do something, and Duvall, who, is in, who has who hit in all the run. 60s in terms of ribbies right now, you're like, okay, that makes sense, but... Uh, How did both do? Was that a good choice? Okay, again, no, you play. So you play nine innings,
1: right? You are always, you are always seeing the the silver lining, and I am always seeing the rain. Bumpy roads. Bumpy <laughs> roads. I'm always Tony. seeing the rain. I'm with, I'm rain. with Captain Davy. All right. Okay. All right. So we will take a break. When we come back, Bill Livingston will join us. He has written a book about Butch Reynolds, a former Olympic uh, 400 meter winner called "Running for His Life." We will talk to Livy about that and other things, some pertaining to Cleveland. I assume. Uh, When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: This is the SeatGeek ad. We're doing SeatGeek. And I, I, you know, we hadn't done it for so long. And both Nigel and Michael pointed out, well, people are going to events again. That's right. People are going to events. Nat's game not full last night, not by a long shot. Steve Rose, our friend Steve Rose, was at the game last night. But, you know, 25,000 people did not were there. try the
2: pupusas last night. I keep recommending them. And he didn't do it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, did you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? They're so big they get away with it without caring about the customer experience. Well, the SeatGeek app, Michael,
3: you have it. I have it. Nigel, you have it. I and, do they, have it. and the personal experience is good, right? Yeah, it's always fantastic. It's very easy. It you know, it tells you when you're getting a, gr- a good deal or if this is a bad deal. Um, and it's just yeah, it's very, so it
1: doesn't appear if it tells you when something is a bad deal, it doesn't appear trying to rip you off, ex- as the kids used to say. Exactly. When I exactly. was a kid,
3: SeatGeek makes buying tickets super
1: simple. A quick look at the App Store shows over fifty thousand five star reviews. It's a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. Then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. So they give you a number on this one, right? Mm -hmm. Finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean a good deal. Red dots are overpriced. Now, you can buy them anyway. Sure you can. But they're just giving you this advice. Every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their buyer guarantee so you can shop for tickets with confidence. Don't worry. We've got the hookup. Use code TONY. For $20 off tickets at SeatGeek, that's $20 off your first purchase with promo code TONY. Visit www.SeatGeek, or download the SeatGeek app today. Use code TONY for $20 off your first SeatGeek order, www.SeatGeek.com. Use the code. I'm mean, Don't be stupid. This is 20 bucks off. You're listening
2: to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony
1: Kornheiser Show. This comes to us from Michael Barilli, who writes, Hey, Biggs, hope you're doing well. I'm writing to submit new music for my band, Windy Crankage. You may recall our Halloween submission for a couple of years back, Monster Smash. The day you played our music on the pod, I was in the car driving to D.C. on my way to visit a friend and go to Chatter with John Maroon's niece. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> Needless to say, I was pumped to hear Mr. Maroon's name on the pod a couple of weeks back. I don't think this classifies as a David Aldridge moment. Correct me if it is, but it was thrilling nonetheless. It actually does. Yes, it It actually does. It sure in any does. case, you can find our new release Close Attached. Anyone that's interested can find it on Spotify, YouTube, etc. We'll be releasing new music every other Friday until August 23rd. Thanks for listening and for all the laughs. This is very pleasant. Very pleasant. Windy Crankage. Very pleasant. Plays in Bill Livingston, our dear friend from Cleveland and from Vanderbilt and from being a sports writer in Philadelphia when I was a sports writer in New York. You have written a book. The book is called Running for His Life. It's about Butch Reynolds. Just tell us, in essence, what the book is about and why you decided to do it.
4: Well, why I decided to do it was um, Butch called me out of the blue in November of 2019 and said, I've waited 30 years to tell my story. And you wrote some, a word I'd never heard, although I'd heard a similar word, you wrote some hellified columns about me uh and gave it to and really uh went after the uh track and field authorities i would like for you to do it and i said well i'm retired and uh he said well i'll come up with some people that will talk to you also and maybe we can reach an agreement and i was you know i got a nice advance that was a pleasant surprise and that at at the first that was the driving thing you know i'm well the money was pretty good um, but, not. Good. I mean, I'm not going to retire to the south of France. But the more I got into it, Butch uh, was a world record holder in the 400 meters, which is the toughest racing track. And uh, he had uh, been a silver medalist in Seoul, gotten a gold medal in the 4x400 relay. In Monaco in 1990, he tested positive for nandrolone, a, a steroid. He was adamant that uh, this is a, the test was botched. And he was wound up being suspended for two years despite being exonerated by a hearing, two hearings in America, one by the uh, American Arbitration Association, which is set up to help track and field athletes, uh, you know, and and the authorities try to resolve differences. And the other by a U.S. was USA track and field now. It was called the Athletic Congress then, Athletics Congress then. Um, he was exonerated in both cases. They said there's a substantial evidence that his uh, urine sample was, well, was um, not his sample, that it was botched. The, uh, and I, I go through in the book all of the, all the technical points of the, of, the, of the chemistry, of the uh, analysis of the sample. And it likely was from at the same time as his sample arrived in the lab in Paris. Um, a sample from an East German female athlete arrived, and likely they got mixed up. There was a, actually a confession by a technician there that he, he mislabeled it. That was just blown off by the IAAF, and it, it, it essentially wrecked Butch Reynolds' life. I mean, he was for two years he couldn't he couldn't compete. He was considered a cheater uh, by almost everyone in authority. And the track and field IAAF, the International Amateur Athletic Federation, as it was called then, now it's World Athletics, was judge and jury. And they they had many other cases that uh, were, the reason they, basically the reason that they suspended Reynolds was, and this is documented, uh, they, they had been covering up dirty tests by other athletes. And... All the you know the Butch ran in the in the finals in Seoul in 1988 the day after Ben Johnson was was disqualified right. for, for doping. So there was this pall over the sport anyway, and they uh, they had covered up a lot of stuff by Carl Lewis failed three tests. You know there was always suspicion about Flo jo, and they decided to make a scapegoat out of Butch because the, America the USOC had not disqualified any premier athlete. And we dominated so much in the Olympics that, you know, other countries were saying, and they're all clean, seriously. And so they had a guy who was a, a name, a big name, but not a Carl Lewis flojo type name. And they decided that they would make a, an example of him and show how, Rigorously, they were going to police doping, and and that it would uh, you know make give a, a draconian penalty to him. And nowadays, uh, there's a book out, that self-published book by Olin Castle, who at the time was a um, um, one of the top guys in, in track and field in this country. And he, it's called Inside the Five Ring Circus, and he outright says that you know the sample was botched, bungled, the, all the tests. Um, Proved that, you know, there was something fishy going on. And he said nowadays it would go to WADA, the world, Anti-Doping Association. And, and, uh, you know, he would almost certainly have been exonerated. Yeah. As it is, he cannot get a – he has not been able to get an elite track and field coaching job. Uh, He has been struggling to, you know, for years he struggled to to make ends meet. And then he won a $27 million – $27.3 million – verdict in uh in a district court um with much of the damage being punitive because it was the judge found that the IWAF acted punitively with malice they, they released his name before he even got a hearing in contravention of their own rules um they had released his name immediately to try to sabotage his uh endorsements which which certainly worked because he uh They had a clause at the time, and I don't know whether they do now or not, probably do. But uh, I probably don't because they have increased uh, testing procedures now and better ones. But they had a clause that you didn't even have to be found guilty after the Ben Johnson thing. Uh, If you even were alleged to have used dope, your your endorsements could be canceled. And Butch had a deal deal that was going to be on the line with Helmand Bo Jackson that was off. There's Nike was talking about doing a big deal, big contract with him and Michael Jordan. That was off. Nike eventually re-signed him for one quarter of his uh, his original uh, contract. So so and, I was
1: I was at that. So I, I went to the eighty eight Olympics. Right. And I, I tell people all the time, if they ask me what's the greatest thing you ever saw, I say it is Ben Johnson beating Carl Lewis and Carl Lewis looking over his right shoulder at Ben Johnson ahead of him with 15 meters to go with a look on his face like, are you kidding me? This guy? Are you kidding me? So I was there, and I know Butch Reynolds' name, and I watched the 400, and I watched the relay, and I know what a great runner he was. And you are, and he is, alleging a conspiracy of consequence. And I appreciate everything that you're saying. I guess my number one question is, why him? You know, what why did they do it to him livy why him and not someone else what had he done
4: well for one thing he had angered carl lewis and and joe douglas carl's agent by, Yes. uh butch was butch was a is an independent guy and uh he he was getting you know big appearance money just like carl was and carl wanted him to join the santa monica track club which was his his group. Yes. Yes. And and the way it worked was not only did Carl get an appearance fee, he also got money uh a cut of all the guys, you know, in his club, all premier runners that he brought to meets. So Carl was getting fabulously wealthy off this. And Butch said, well, you know, uh if you Butch basically just just said to these promoters, "Look, just pay me. Just pay me." And you don't have to give me a cut of it, but I'll bring so and so and so and so. And he was kind of becoming a rival, uh, in at least in, in Joe Douglas's mind, to uh to Carl and not in popularity, although Butch was getting very popular, but but just because he didn't want to he di- he didn't want to take all the money like Carl was taking. And again, you know, they at one point uh his former track coach at Ohio State told me Butch was, he said he never refused a drug test. He always, uh, he always was, uh, never, never uh, fussed about it, always showed up on time to take it. Uh, he was at his house having dinner and, <clears throat> excuse me, and he had a headache and, and the coach's wife gave him some Advil and before he would take any of it, Butch carefully read the ingredients on the side he's and so he was aware
1: training. of what he put in his body and he was aware of what would put the meter on on the drug test right yeah. he'd flip it right
4: an athlete an elite athlete in any sport is not aware of that that he's ingesting stuff that, that's illegal when he does it No.
1: and he waited 30 years he waited th- over 30 years to, well, to tell life. his story well
4: he got he excuse me he got the 27 million dollars Right. Oh, okay. And then, and then uh, that was overturned on appeal, and it was not. It was not because the IAAF was not um, guilty. The I—I I had two. Well, my son is a lawyer, and I had a retired, emeritus uh, law professor from <clears throat> from the University of Georgia and a Vanderbilt guy. Uh, both helped me with the legal issues because there were a lot of legal cases. Uh, it was not a technicality. It was he got off. I mean, he the case was overturned on a technicality because they had no jurisdiction. Uh, the jurisdiction of American courts stops at the water's edge. So and he didn't the get IAAF, the twenty-seven
1: million. He didn't get the money. He got no money. Butch Reynolds got no
4: money. He got, he got three million of it, which sounds like well, what's he complaining about? Mm. But he was so worried that the IAAF would find some way to come back at the money. And that if he spent it, people would say, "Well <clears> our <throat> people would say, "Well, he was just out for the money uh, along with uh, and not so much his reputation. he wanted the money. He put it in escrow. He never spent a penny of it. And then he lost it all. Uh, on, and and Paul Kurtz, the the uh, law professor, told me, he said, "Bill, you just don't understand it. The merits of the case don't matter if you don't have jurisdiction. And that's how he lost the money. Wow. it's a very it's a it's a sobering and incredibly in, infuriating story of 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 a an unbridled bureaucracy making an example of an innocent man and basically trying to just ruin his life. They were very vindictive at the he he got he got the intercession of the Supreme Court. That he could compete at the uh, trials in New Orleans. I don't know whether you were there, but but I certainly was. No, I was not uh, at the trials. The Olympic trials. John Paul Stevens' eleventh-hour uh, uh, appeal. You know, I never thought it would work, but it did. Uh, let him let him appeal, uh, let him run, knowing that maybe the, IW, uh, the IOC still wouldn't let him in, and that's that's what happened. He he qualified, but. But he wasn't allowed to run.
1: So but, he's, uh, he's in uh, his during during
4: during those Olympics, um, he was shunned by all the other competitors and the IAAF tried to bribe them with a quarter million dollars. You you drop you you don't run, you take your punishment, we'll give you a quarter million dollars, and and this is all confirmed by Owen Castle's book too. And Will set up a match race against whoever wins the 400 in the Barcelona uh, at the Barcelona Olympics. Winner take all hundred thousand dollars, and you can compete on the European tour immediately. And Reynolds refused because he wanted to clear his family's name. There's a very touching story in it uh, that he told me about his grandfather who was nearly deaf uh, and had been for years from a, from an illness. And at Butch's graduation from Ohio State, his, grand, his wheelchair-bound eighty-something-year-old grandfather, who usually carried a pad and w- would write out and, and show them what he wanted, what he wanted them to respond to, and they would write their answers. They're all talking about the case, his family, and all of a sudden, his grandfather just says, "Clear my name, son." And that wow. became one of the driving things with Butch. He he was a it's, it has relevance to today's sports environment and national environment because Butch became more and more involved in, in the in the struggle for black black rights, uh, civil rights. He was very aware of Jesse Owens, you know, the great Ohio State runner, and and uh, he he wanted to try to follow in his footsteps. Um, and he uh, his hero was Lee Evans, whose world record he broke because Lee Evans was one of the uh, san jose state guys that was behind the protest uh at at the 1968 olympics now he wasn't a 200 meter runner that was smith and carlos but in the 400 they all wore berets that looked sort of like black panther stuff when uh, it was an american sweep uh in the 400 and and all three of them wore berets in support of you know black power and he uh you know he mandela is a hero to him he uh it's just you know he he speaks straight from the heart about he said i you know for years and years, I was not going to say this was racism because I didn't want to go down that road and, and and he said but now, after eighteen months of we've been talking about what happened i'm I'm willing to say it now, and you know one of the things he brought up is Tommy Smith, who you know was in the protest, the two hundred meter gold medalist, waited until last march i think to ever be on a wheatie's box and then it was because of the black lives matter protests and all and butch said you know you want to tell me that but that, that bruce jenner wouldn't have been on the wheatie's box he you was know? on the wheatie's uh,
1: box he, he, was.
4: Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah but they would have you think they would would not have put you, you think you know bruce jenner would have been treated this way if he had made some sort of a hmm. protest no he wouldn't have been and again, right. it's, an, it's an advocacy book, and, and he, some of the things he says, I don't necessarily agree with, but, I mean, the guy just, the guy has a compelling story, and it's just 30, it's a grave miscarriage of justice that's going on for 30 years.
1: Wow. Running for His Life is the name of the book. I think, I'm now recommending people go get this. Um, you know, well, I... It'll I be- it's fascinating. I got a, a not his sample. Are you kidding me? They hung a guy out on somebody else's urine sample. I, I mean, that's that's an automatic oh. deal now. I mean, you know, it, yeah. if the chain is broken, that's an automatic deal. The so, presumption yeah, of innocence oh, oh. clears you, right? It does.
4: The steroid stays in the in the system for uh, a year, okay? And he tested clean a week a week later in Stuttgart at a race um, on on a. Machine on on apparatus testing apparatus that's supposedly ten times more sensitive than the ones in Monaco where he, and he was also chosen at random for the for the Monaco test and a final thing uh, about the East German athlete well, among the tests they run is our um, uh, tests of the chemistry of the of the sample and obviously a male sample should should show testosterone.
1: Yes, and, sure.
4: And so, yeah. Well, the B said, you know, and you know, they divide into two halves, yeah. A and B. Samples. A and B. Yeah. One of the one of the samples showed testosterone, showed a estrogen, so it was not Butch Reynolds,
1: sample. Uh, all right. So go get the book, everybody. Running for his life. Thank you, Livy. Good luck with Thank this. You for Bill, Bill Livingston, boys and girls. I know, I I know who Butch Reynolds is. I. Again, why him? You know, I mean, why him? I mean, this—it it, this feels like something far too conspiratorial for me. But I bet it's a great read. We will take a break. Tim Legler will join us. We will wrap up the uh, NBA season. It's over. It's Done. over. We can go on with our lives. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X Chair read. This is a wild read. They got a new copy here. Let's take a shot. <laughs> The unknown came in 2020 and changed the workplace forever. While some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. Me, me. The future of work has changed, and so has the future of seating. X Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now, X Chair's newest innovation, LMAX temperature regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling heat and massage in your lower back. Feeling a bit warm this summer? Set your LMAX to cooling. Air conditioning in your home office? Cranked up too high? Set your LMAX to heating so you can warm up and soothe tired muscles. Feeling stressed out from too many Zoom calls? Turn on LMAX massage therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already the best in class with incredible response in the lower back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. X-Chair Elimax delivers cooling heat and massage technology directly to your core, which regulates your body temperature and helps increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. Treat yourself to the joys of X-Chair. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, chair, tony.com, or call 1-844-4-X-Chair to receive $100 off your order. X-Chair is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. You can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month go to xchairtony.com now and use the code xwheels for free xwheel blade casters. You got to have those. xchairtony.com. Use the code, people.
3: You're listening to the Tony
1: Kornheiser show. This is sent to us by Davey McCorkle, originally from Binghamton, New York. He's the lead singer for a new indie rock group called Bat Bridge. Great name, Bat Bridge, based in Austin, Texas, which is about as far away from Binghamton as you can get. We'd greatly appreciate you reviewing our music for possible play on the podcast. Here's one of our songs, Troublemaker, title track off a new album. Hope you and your audience like it. Bat Bridge music available commercially via all the streaming services. Thank you. Troublemaker. Talented people all over the country. Michael, if people want to listen to this music in its entirety without me talking over it, they have to send it in, and how do they send it in? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Tim Legler joins us now as we wrap up the uh, NBA season. Milwaukee, um, I, I said at the beginning of the series that I thought it was possible that whoever won the first game could actually sweep the series. I did not think it would be a long series. When Phoenix won the first game and the second game, I thought they could I don't know that they would, but I thought it was a five-game series. Well, Milwaukee came back, and they won four in a row, so they swept the series. Tim, where where are we now? Are you satisfied that a better team won? Are you satisfied, because I'm not satisfied they're the best team in the league, but are you satisfied the better team won? And can you explain how they would win four in a row?
5: Yeah, I, I do think, ultimately, in, 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 in finally seeing the two teams paired up, I do think the better team won. Now, going into the series, I actually thought the Phoenix Suns were playing a style and a brand of basketball that was going to win this series, and I thought it was going to be a seven-game series. Um, oh, okay. But as I watched them play, Tony, it was obvious to me the Suns are a guy away. They need another all-star, and they need a wing with some size that can get his own offense. That's going to be the difference for that team because when you watch them play against the Bucks, the thing that stood out was the Bucks had three guys over the course of the series that could win any matchup that was in front of them. The Suns don't have that. The Suns had one guy that could do that in Devin Booker. Then they got role players that need things set up for them, and then they had a guy named Chris Paul who started off a series and taking what the Bucks gave him in game one, which was just inexplicable to me, the way they were defending him, he took advantage of it, once they started giving him the proper prioritization, they completely limited him. They took his gas. They took his legs, They picked him up 94 feet. They made a 36-year-old guard work for everything he got. And it, that, so he wasn't really on that level either of a guy that can just go win a matchup. The Bucks had three of those guys. And that, to me, was the ultimate difference. And then this team also, Tony, the Phoenix Suns, they were built for a guy like Giannis to dominate them. And I probably didn't put enough stock in that when I made my prediction that the Suns would win this right. series because they're too small. They're too small. And even with Saric, what I mean by that is the help defenders that were coming on Giannis Antetokounmpo were smaller guards. They were thinner type guys like Cameron Johnson and Mikhail Bridges who, who are good players, but they do not have the physical strength or brawn to be able to get in the way of to Kumpo and impede him and make him play – in traffic, in a way that can cause him to force things too much, the way that he did in the last two postseasons, they just weren't big enough. And so his stride, his length, his strength, ultimately, and his skill last night, because that was one of the that was one of the all time great performances I've ever watched in terms of of combination of power and finesse out of one player in the same game. Uh, it was just too much for the Phoenix Suns defensively to deal with.
1: So I'm going to ramble a little bit. I'm going to cite Jay Billis, who was a friend of mine, who said when DeAndre Ayton was drafted that he could be Will Chamberlain. And obviously he's not Will Chamberlain yet. Maybe he will be, but Antetokounmpo is a lot closer to it. But the last time we talked, Tim, you said of Antetokounmpo, he's a great player, but he's not a complete player. He can't hurt you. You know, he can't shoot fouls and he can't go outside and shoot. He made one three last night, but he concentrated on on inside play. As you see him over the course of the six games in this series, do you change your mind in your evaluation of Anta Tecumpo at this point?
5: Well, look, I still think, as far as you know, the offensive greatness that it takes uh, typically in this league, and and we're not going to, we can't dismiss the fact that there were teams that were com- incomplete with injuries, that, that, that yes. cleared the path for the Bucks. You can't yes. ignore it. The I'm Nets. not taking anything yes. away from it, but it's, it's legitimate. And when you look at those teams, and you look at guys like Kawhi Leonard, you look at guys like Kevin Durant, who were not healthy here at the end of the year, you look at an Anthony Davis, who was not healthy here at the end of the year, and LeBron James, Like those guys can, can, can make a shot of, from anywhere on the floor – depending on the situation and what it requires based on the way the defense is playing you. I still don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo is in that category. Mm -hmm. He can certainly dominate certain types of teams. And now look, I'm not going to dismiss what he did last night, what he did from the foul line, because you cannot overstate the significance of what he was doing at the line last night. And guess what? He needed every single one of those free throws in order to give that team enough breathing room at the end because he was not getting a lot of help from his other two-star offensive players. So he put it together last night. He made a step-back 18-foot jumper. He made a three. He made a push shot from the foul line, like a little short one-handed jumper in, in the middle of the fourth quarter. He had some finishes off the move going to the basket that required touch and finesse. So he did more last night in terms of being a complete scorer he's still not in the category of the guys I mentioned and their ability to shoot a ball from anywhere on the floor, off the dribble or off the catch, in addition to getting to the rim, whenever the situation requires it. So he's still not there, but everything fell in place for a guy this physically dominant this year with the way the league yeah. broke down to be able agreed. to take this thing across the finish line.
1: No, it's totally agreed that that, that the un- Written story is going to be how the injuries affected the ultimate outcome, both of these teams getting to the finals. I want to go back on one other thing, and this is mainly directed at Wilbon, but he's not here, so I'm going to direct it at you. Um, and then that is the uh, the criticism of Budenholzer over the course of time. And, and uh, I, I, I'm going to bring these two things up because they're statistics to me that are meaningful and I'm not one of those guys that loves all statistics but in previous playoff series uh, in the finals if you went down 0-2 31 out of 35 times 31 out of 35 you lost having gone down 0-2 in the finals I watched a great team overcome that in, the, in this exact same way I believed him. I believe it was a four game sweep and that was Portland over the Sixers Right, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, they won, I think they lost the first two and Portland then won when Walton had the one great year um, that they won four in a row. But it's, it's rare that this happens. And in this particular case, Milwaukee went down 0-2 twice, didn't they? They went down yeah. 0-2 to Phoenix. They went down 0-2 to the Nets. Teams that had better records than Milwaukee over the course of the year. So I, I guess what I'm saying is somebody's got to get a little credit for this, for, for that stalwart quality that allows them to go down 0-2 twice and win those two series after having not much trouble with with Atlanta and no trouble at all with Miami. That was a blowout. That surprised me because I thought Miami was better than that. So I I think I'm asking, can I give Budenholzer any credit at all or do I have to listen to Wilbon?
3: No,
5: no, you got you got to give him some credit. Look, I've always viewed okay. Mike Budenholzer as a guy that's incredibly bright. He's got a great mind for the game, uh, and when he coached role players in Atlanta and sent four of those oh, guys great. to the All Star game in it's the same great. year, right? Yeah. You, you appreciated what he did in terms of player movement, ball movement, what they ran much more so than he got credit here because you have super. He had a superstar player, and they operated the offense differently. Here's where he grew as a coach: two two ways. First. He absolutely addressed the fact that their preparation going into game one and how they were going to defend pick-and-roll, particularly with Chris Paul, was a complete mistake. They'd spent 72 hours preparing, and they came up with probably the worst defensive game plan you could have against that particular player. Well, you know what? Some guys would insist, because their ego's too big, that, no, this is the right way, you don't know what you're talking about, and we're going to do it this way. Instead, what did he do? completely changed the way they addressed him. They wanted to target Chris Paul. In particular, Booker's much harder to do that because he's going to take 25 shots, and you're going to have to get a lot of different guys to guard him. And he's got younger legs, and it's just harder. Chris Paul, 36-year-old guard, they said, you know what? We're going to pick you up 85 feet every single time you bring the ball off the floor. And over the course of 48 minutes, we are going to drain your energy source and make it – so that you are much less inclined to be as aggressive as you were. We're also going to put Drew Holiday on you every minute we can, rather than handing you off on switches or playing this ridiculous drop coverage that the league loves. We're going to put Drew Holiday on you as much as we can and have him fight over picks, have him pursue you throughout the possession to get you back so that the next time you don't get it back and the second time in that possession to be effective as a scorer because we don't think Devin Booker could beat us by himself. That's what they did. Give him credit for that. The other thing he did, Tony, okay. he realized they cannot operate in tight games the way that they had for the last couple of years, which was coming out of a timeout in a one-possession game. You could almost guarantee with three minutes to go, the Milwaukee Bucks were going to fall into that trap of, well, we've got a two-time MVP. I guess this is what you do. Give him the ball. Let him ISO. And that is not a winning formula with Giannis Antetokounmpo because he does not have the ability to make a mid-range shot, a deep shot, or really even beat you with his passing. He can beat you certain ways, but you have to do something different late. And I think his willingness to put the ball in Chris Middleton's hands, to put the ball in Drew Holiday's hands at times, use Giannis more as a screen dive guy, a guy that could put pressure on you going toward the rim in those situations – That required a a difficult conversation probably to have with Giannis, or maybe not. Maybe it was Giannis, just his ego going to the side and saying, I accept that this is how we have to end games. Whatever caused it, it was what made the difference in them being able to navigate pressure situations significantly better with this team than they did in the prior two years. So give Budenholzer a lot of credit for understanding they had to be different late you have to put the ball in the hands of a guy that can make a deep shot or a mid-range shot because that might be what the defense dictates that you do, and that was not going to be Giannis' wheelhouse.
1: It's just so it's a perfect analysis. I really enjoy this, and I'll get on PTI today and I'll say, Legler told me this, Wilbon, you're an idiot. Legler told me this. I'll get, you, I'll get you out of here on this one thing, and it's totally local for us, and it's Wes Unsell Jr., who just got the job with the Washington Wizards. Did, was he around when you were playing for the Wizards? Was Wes Unseld Jr. around? Do you know him at all? What do you think of the hire?
5: Yes, he was, and I did know him at that time. Obviously, our paths have going in different directions over the years, but um, he, look, he, his father was a great, great man. I, I really loved the man, genuinely. Uh, Wes Unseld was a mountain of a man, a teddy bear of a human being, and I was blessed enough to be around Wes a lot, and, and then Wes Jr. was around... Too early at that time to know where his life would lead in coaching. I just think it's phenomenal the tie-in to the organization. I think there are times with certain organizations bringing a guy in like this who I think it's going to mean more to than a lot of guys that could have taken this job. I think that's maybe what this organization needs right now I wish him nothing but the best. Um, loved his father, and, he, man, he must be so proud of what he has accomplished and to think that he is helming this organization that West led to a championship and you know, really became a surrogate son of Abe Poland uh, over yes. the years. And, and now to see his son being the guy to roam the sidelines for this organization, how proud he must be looking down on his son. It's just a great day, I think, for the organization. Very happy about it.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll watch you on TV in a little while. Thank you, Tim.
5: Sorry, right, Tony. Anytime.
1: Tim Legler, it's just, it's right. Bang, 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 bang. It's right there. We'll take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
4: This is the Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: This is the policy genius ad. There's no better time than now to apply for life insurance because it's not just temperatures that's rising. Life insurance rates can go up each year you wait to buy. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, of course, an aging parent, that would be me, or even a business partner, you need life insurance to properly provide for their families. Most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage than they get through their employer. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. You can save 50% or more on life insurance. It's a lot by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year. That's a lot on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. Getting started is easy. Head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies, Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
0: Press record. All right. Now I'm going to sing. So now I'm going to sing a song. It's a live jingle, a real important one. But I've got no experience to draw upon. I'd regale you with some lyrics about a wonderful story. Without first-hand history it would go rather poorly Now KJ can take over and sing something funny Wait
6: a minute Is this how podcasters make all
0: their money? It's the chorus Now I'm singing about doing live reads I sing the words and the hurt from your Google machine if I keep singing, will I get funded by underwear, razors, and seats. Build a course. Do they pay for jingles about live reads? I'm singing a jingle about live reads. I'm repeating these words again because they're important. <laughs> I'm singing a jingle about live reads. How about
2: falsetto? I'll wait for I'm it. I'm
0: playing the same chords over and over. I bet you didn't notice unless you were paying attention. Ooh, ooh, that's Barsetto. That's the best. <laughs> Singing a jingle about Larry.
1: Jason Fuse and Kirsten Olmstead. Lovely. That'll about uh, do it for us today. Well, wait, we got to do the Bethesda bagel ad.
3: Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. And you can toast them in your Revolution Toaster. Tell about the poster. Big yeah. sign for Revolution <laughs> Toasters. The best bagel toaster you'll ever have. Tremendous. And nothing about the panini press. <laughs> nothing. We've got to do that. We've got to yeah, do the Yeah, you've got to try that. We need the, the That'll just
1: about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, and this is from the Billy Crystal, <laughs> Meg Ryan movie, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Thanks to our guest today, Bill Livingston, who's written a book called Running for His Life, and Tim Legler, who just broke down Milwaukee and Phoenix perfectly. Thanks as well to today's sponsors, Seat Geek, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Marty O'Neill in Annapolis. I was quite literally stopped in my tracks the other morning listening to you and Mark Feinsand waxing poetic about Camp Kiyuma, having spent the first 18 years of my life on a farm in nearby Pleasant Mount, six miles down the Belmont Turnpike, and having been a fan of the pod, the radio show, the style section, and the bandwagon, I've always got to chuck a chuckle out of your camp references. Today, however, was over the top, or the other day, he wrote today, over the top good, references to Orson lake lorraine route 370 wayne county point l by the way the locals dropped the t so it's point l was sensory overload i just spent july 4th in my hometown where i watched more than 30 antique tractors parade through town so my rural upbringing occupied more of my thoughts than normal and mr tony fine sand camp banter was fueled to that country fire thanks you see in the early 70s kids maybe you made this trek a decade earlier but those from those city camps in Orson would load school buses and visit our dairy farm to see the cows. We were sure these city kids were from another planet, and I'm quite sure the feelings were mutual. Two worlds colliding, albeit gently and with the occasional wisecrack from either side. After living in Maryland for 40 years, I sometimes lose track of a simpler place and a simpler time. It's a lovely email. From Jeff. Newman in Greenville, South Carolina, long-time Little here. I'm hearing Chris Saliza's tale of encountering unexpected Littles. I wanted to share this story with you. I've been fortunate to be friends with a local news anchor here in the upstate of South Carolina who uh, gives me personal David Aldridge moments constantly. I like to think of him as the Leon Harris of the upstate. We'd been friends for a number of years when I noticed one day that we both followed Kevin Sheehan on Twitter. Ask Michael what that is. <laughs> I assumed it wasn't for weather forecasts, so I asked him if he was in fact a Little. He confirmed he was, and we immediately began to delight in our confusing our other friends by speaking little with no explanation or context. I was in D.C. several years ago for a business trip and made time to have breakfast at Chatter. You were kind enough to take a picture of me when I shared it with my friend He was green with envy, which was wonderful for me. In all seriousness, you and the gang not only connect strangers who discover other members of Little's little family all around the world, you also bring existing friends closer together with disputed water bills and Chessie's Frisbee snacks. Thank you all. Please tell Gene McManus... She is who we should all aspire to be. So Lizza, of course, can eat it. <laughs> From loyal little Eric Schertzer, I recently began to read Tom Coyne's latest golf masterpiece, A Course Called America. Are you familiar with that, one? And was struck by my very own David Aldridge moment, albeit a virtual one within the book's first few chapters. In his quest to play the great golf courses of America, Mr. Coyne meets up with the great Jimmy Dunn. To play a few of the prize courses that dot the Long Island coastline. It was at that moment that I blurted out, much to the confusion of my wife, I know that guy. (laughs) Over the years of listening to Mr. Tony, the name Jimmy Dunn has become synonymous with golfing royalty. Every time Mr. Tony begins a segment regaling his audience with stories of the great Mr. Dunn or the great Sam Reeves, my ears perk up that extra bit as I know we're getting a peek behind the curtain of a golf world one can only dream of. Growing up working in the bag shop, shop, caddying and using every spare moment, To whittle down my handicap, I used to imagine a dream foursome of Tiger, Nicholas, and Ells. Today, I think I would trade all those names in for a round with the great Jimmy Dunn. Uh, A man that if Dos Equis is ever looking to fill the role of the world's most interesting (laughs) man should probably be first on the call list. Thank you, Tony. For the many years of entertainment, if you ever decide, decide to put down the Canadian flag at the end of PTI and visit the great white north... I would be happy to host you and Michael to a few of the prize Stanley Thompson courses, Calgary Golf and Country Club, Banff Springs, and Jasper Park Lodge in our great country. From Ed Butt, I was in the grocery store stocking up on supplies for a golfing visit um, from KJ Onstad and her wife, you know, bourbon and Oreos. The guy checking out in front of me had the usual stuff and one payday bar. The clerk said, would you like the payday in the bag or separate so you can eat it now? He said, no, it's for later. I'm playing golf this afternoon. I need something in the middle of the round. (laughs) Using my information for life, I chimed in. They are perfect for the golf course because they don't melt. He agreed and then looked at me like a wise old man that I have become. All thanks to you. From Chris Milky. And this is to Michael. I could try to be funny here and talk about the length of time that I've listened to the show and even watched on TV. However, I just need some advice, so I will dispense with the niceties. I'm planning my first trip to Pinehurst, and other than number two, what courses would you recommend? I know that eight, four, seven, and six are also really good. In what order would you put them, Michael?
2: Oh, you're better at this than I. I, would, I if you could get on four, four before two, I would do that. And make sure you play the cradle, because the, the cradle will be the warm-up. That should be your first visit. And make sure you, you stop by the new brewery.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think four is up there. I love seven and eight, but at my age, because I'm an old man, I also loved um, one. I mean, one was across the road and I got to play one with Alex and it was a great course to walk and I enjoyed it very much, but you can't go wrong. Uh, D.A. Weick, W-E-I-C-K, in Johnstown, Iowa. Pickled eggs are delicious, you Philistine. (laughs) From Nick in Washington Grove, Maryland. Those eggs you wouldn't eat at the bar in Northeast Pennsylvania had not turned red. They've been pickled with red beets added to the jar, which not only dyed the outside of the eggs, but changed their flavor slightly as well. A plate with a couple of eggs and maybe one of the red beets in a singularly good bar snack with a cold draft if i'm ever on jeopardy i will kill should the category be pennsylvania bar snacks it'd be like rosie perez when she gets foods beginning with q and then he writes eat at saliza a brilliant brilliant email from Samuel plazak in savannah georgia as a recent millennial transplant to georgia from the land of saliza in connecticut and having no friends or family in the area i've been playing a lot of golf alone About a month ago, I was playing quickly, and at the turn, caught up with a group of three who asked me to play with them. Seeing a chance to make potential golf buddies, I accepted. Around the 16th hole, the conversation turned to what kind of music and podcasts we all listen to, and this podcast came up with one of the guys in the group being a Little. Fast forward to the parking lot, and this Little and I were parked next to each other. As we pull up to drop our bags, he looks at my car, scoffs, and lets out... Um, A little with a Subaru, disgraceful. The shame has since eaten me apart. Last week, I sold the Subaru and bought a truck. Good for you. Thanks, Mr. Tony. That is fabulous. From Tim Storniolo in Mount Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. Don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Wisconsin. I heard Michael interject Wednesday's mailbag story about a bidet with don't drink out of that bubbler. I had to rewind and listen because I was pretty sure bubbler was a Midwest term. When I was living in New York, people kept trying to send me to water fountains, and since I didn't have coins for making a wish, I nearly died of thirst. It's a bubbler, damn it. How did Michael come across this lexicon? Did he spend enough time with the great Midwestern Mr. Wilbon that it just rubbed off on him? I will hang up and listen.
3: As a time up in Boston. Yeah, that's it's right. A it's, a, it's a Boston term as well.
1: Oh, is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay, from Al Ruggles in Lexington, Kentucky. <clears throat> left, 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 right, left. Left, right, left, left, right sock left, sock, left sock, left shoe, right shoe. Lab boxer cross seventy-five pounds. Beagle Jack Russell cross thirty pounds. Calico cat twelve pounds. Fifty-dollar oster toaster. Uh, Ten years old. Two bagels a week. Four point eight cents bagels and dropping. I believe I just hit for the TK cycle. <laughs> yeah, but what is that? Your neighbor literally do? is my list. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Tell Cindy Bourne to eat it. That's so funny. From John Glenn, not John Glenn. Dear Dr. Ron, I've been listening to all the kvetching from my fellow littles who have to be given the name of Jeremiah while being compared to a bullfrog from a song from 50-plus years ago fades with age. American hero, first man to orbit the earth, and former Senator John Glenn Donat. I got it often growing up. Every substitute teacher I ever had would ask, John Glynn, like the astronaut? No, r- my replies of no, John Glynn, like my father. I'm John <laughs> Glynn II. Quickly turn to, do you think you're the first to come up with that? When questioned by the sub for the day, Mr. Schimmel in the fifth grade. <laughs> I, I'm reading these with great anger as I like them because I know how they're written. Right. I know how they're written. Lately, at the age of 38, I'm still getting the occasional questioning of my progeny or travels, mostly from older orange men. My newest strategy is to feign ignorance as to why someone would exclaim that I look young for being the man on the moon. Ugh, John Glenn orbited the earth. If you're going to try to be a smart ass, at least be smart about it. Or when they ask me, how was the moon? When I look at them confused and I say, I have no idea what you're talking about, they make a reference to my name, to which I say, who? They end up getting flustered and give up. My wife says it's a mean thing to do, to give these old orange men a hard time for trying to make fun of my name, but I am unrelenting. Finally, I'm happy to put you up at my hotel. Should you ever choose to visit Wilbon at what I'm sure is Stately manor in Scottsdale. I would also be happy to arrange around at the famed TPC Scottsdale or Greyhawk Golf Club. No shop credit. Keep up the great work. Love the pot. He's the director of public relations at the Fairmont Scottsdale Princess, and we're gonna hold on to that <laughs> one. And one more. Um from David Brown in North Carolina. I had my own Pat 40 moment in the North Carolina Little League 8U. State softball tournament. It's like a David Aldridge moment, just more stressful. My daughter, Peyton Brown, and her team won the state championship. I know it means nothing and everything at the same time. Here's to hoping the LeChesery folks hear about this and send us a big box of that so we can put on those god-awful ski goggles and celebrate in style. Could we be the official 8U softball state champions of North Carolina asking for a friend? This one's for Uncle Benny. And there's a picture included, which is lovely. Oh, look at that. Um, Frank, Sakari, Troy, New York. Been a while since I've emailed the show. Feel free to ad-lib a bit here and tell a few stories about your personal experiences with my emails. It's so great. It's so it's just so great. One more. One more. Jesse Hammock from Eastern Maryland. Long time second time. I have no sympathy for Jeremiah's or Scotty's. They're weak. Three Dog Nights reference to Jeremiah the Bullfrog was enjoyed to the world. A worthy and uplifting message in any era. Star Trek was a classic and Scotty was an endearing character. Neither of those songs hold a candle to the emotional scarring heaped on the Jessies of the world by that sappy teen idol of the early 80s, Rick Springfield. Just imagine for a minute the white-hot embarrassment of being a pudgy sixth grader at the school dance while that skinny, good-looking t-shirt-wearing dope sang about my non-existent girl. He even spelled my name wrong. He spelled Jesse with an I. Jesse with an I is the girl spelling. I hate rick springfield i really like soup though that's from jesse from eastern maryland all good all good if you're out on your bike time everyone as always do wear white
4: you know they all get involved and they all got their gear already and so they're going to be all colored up in uh in the maroon and black and yellow
1: you're an idiot (laughs)
2: But you feel so She got ghost, Don't know why though no. Even when she let me in It was asymptote Google that Want you in my vicinity Yeah Magnify proximity Quit acting like you're not that enemy Baby girl you know being close to the vest Close to the chest Under cell when I said you're close to the vest Close to the end So I'll leave it like this Baby let me know when you wanna get close Close to you
6: Tell them other the boys adios Radio